when I was a kid, I did dissect a goldfish. I didn't kill it. It died of natural causes. I'll have you know. I did dissect it upon its death. You, uh, it's I want really more. disappointing. That's the really, is, truly dark. There's not creepy. a lot there is, is what was interesting, I think. It's like what you see is what you get with a goldfish. Is there, do they have, like, bones? They have to have bones. It's more cartilage-ish. Uh, by the way, I don't how work, did you, work did for you National like, Geographic. Did you so use, like, a steak knife as a kid? Like, or a butter? Like, <laughs> what did you... It, well, it must have been a butter knife. I don't think I was allowed near the steak knives. What, did, you, did your mom know what you were doing? No one knew what I was doing. I and that's like how serial killers are made. No. Yes. The serial 100%. killer would have killed the fish. I didn't kill a fish. So what you did is you were like, this died of natural causes. And now I'd like to see what's inside it. It's a, I don't know. I think that's a, a fairly uh, innocent and normal question to have. I think it's totally normal, but I think the application of finding out is creepy. Mm-hmm. To all our uh, our readers out there, dear uh, readers, I'm Quinlan Posner, and I'm Carrie Ibama, and this is truly darkly creepy. And we are here. It's a very very rainy day in Brooklyn. I feel like you're getting a mood. I feel like the background of this, like if you want, we can also release an episode where it's just the sound behind me, and I bet you could sleep beautifully. Like it's probably get more listeners than the episode get, than with, the episode, with us talking. Yeah, with us talking. Like I just want to do like a pause and just listen to the sound of the rain. Feel it on my fingertips. Hear it on the window pane. You're welcome. I mean, if that just play that, uh, that was free. If you play that on loop, you'll get the best REM sleep of your life. That's true. <laughs> Scientifically <laughs> proven. Um, I feel I, we should jump right in. So Let's um, do it. I'm going to go first because mine's a real Debbie Downer. Mm-hmm. And there's no way yours could be darker than this dark shit really? that I'm about to spew at you. I think that's fair. Knowing my story, it's dark, but not as dork-thatted. Yes. <laughs> and I do have... Remind me, well, I'll remember. <laughs> remind me to remember, okay? Okay. Remember, if there's anything you remember, remember to do today, it's to remind remember. me to remember. You know what? Try to remember. This is a weird singing this is, podcast. This is the this musical. Is, this is the musical. This is truly darkly creepy. If you're just tuning in, edition. it's a musical. <laughs> um, I read about this insane story. Do you know the story of... Ariel Castro, Fidel's sister. No, no, uh, it's a it's a man. First of all, oh, um, I'm Ariel. I know Ariel. I know it's a male name, but I gotta tell you, Little Mermaid. Sarah's nodding. She knows. She have knows you the heard this story? Dark as shit. Um, all right. Well, I'll just I'll hop Sarah, right in. I just want to see Sarah's face. Our producer, Sarah, as we like to call her, Miss Sarah Axtell. Oh, and first of all, let me also just say thank you, Wikipedia. If you want to donate to Wikipedia. I did this week. They are my everything. Also, oh, all nice. these interesting articles. And I did read a book called Finding Me by Michelle Knight. I'm going to talk about that later. Everyone should read that book. You really did a deep dive. I did, did a deep homework. dive, but I have to say, this story spans a decade. And <gasps> so there, you can read a book and still... 
Wait, not do know I know anything. Ariel Castro? All right, well, I'll I tell do. you about him. I do, I think. Okay, <gasps> he was sex- born in Puerto Rico in 1960, and his folks got divorced when he was a kid, and he moved to the USA with his mom and his three siblings. Mm-hmm. They were first moved to Reading, and then they moved to Cleveland, and this story takes place in Cleveland. Oh my God, my eyes um, just got so big. I'm so... He Also, he grew up with nine siblings, which is kind of mental. Uh, three of them were full. I mean, siblings. plenty of people grew up with nine siblings. I'm sure the majority of them are fine. You don't even know. You don't even know what he did. That or feels didn't like a do. deal breaker. It's like if someone has multiple siblings, one of you are bound to be crazy. And I'm not going to risk it on you. You're right. It's a real <laughs> roll of the dice. But wouldn't you be sad if you were the parent that only had one kid and you got the crazy kid? At least she had maybe eight more kids that didn't do crazy to stuff. To help clean up the mess. Whew. Um, in the 80s, he moved in with his girlfriend, Gramilda is her name. Oh, well, sure. Um, not her to be family lived from all these the pizza. Yeah. No. Not to be She was not in the pizza industry. <laughs> or Grizabella. Oh, Grizabella. Who's that? Um, from Cats, starring Taylor Swift. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I tell you, I took my... The other day, Matt was on my phone, and I was like, what are you looking at? I didn't know. I didn't ask. He just said, can I borrow your phone? And then I was like, sure, and I hand it to him. And then a minute later, I was like, I need it. I take it from him, and he was just Googling cats. <laughs> That's all that. he had written in the Google I bar. Just... Cats. Why? I will never know. I'm worried that there's something wrong with him, but I was too scared to ask. So I was like, you, you know what? Just, I'm going to let this lie. Do you think he was trying to look up pussy? <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely a porn thing. It was definitely a porn thing. He was just looking for some chaos. Um, okay. Let's get serious. Okay, sorry. Grimilda lived across the street from him. They moved into their own place in 1992. And according to Grimilda's sister, she says that is when all hell broke loose. The short and the long of it is that he was a super abusive husband, oh. and he beat her up all the time, and oh. he pushed her downstairs. He broke a bunch of bones, um, and he hurt her so badly, she actually got a blood clot in her brain that resulted in an inoperable tumor. So you can imagine, terrible marriage. I think they were together a while, and then she finally was like, enough's enough. Oh, she good. leaves him. Good. She takes the kids. Okay. He How continues. many kids do they have? That's a really good question. I want to say four kids. Yeah, I don't know. You know, probably for privacy purposes, they're probably like, we're not going to list the name of their kids. I, I mean, like could you, you imagine? Be able to learn literally anything from the internet, but yeah, I, I don't I'm see okay how many kids they have. I'm okay not saying their names. I do know that he had three daughters, and I think he had two sons. That's a guess. I think I'm almost right, but I could be wrong. Okay. Grimilda does, like, eventually die, I think, from the injuries resulting from this tumor. So you could sort of say he that's a murder right there. So this guy, Castro, he starts living alone. He is a bus driver in Cleveland. That's his thing. Public or school? School. School bus He's driver. A school, He's bu- a school bus driver. No. And he, uh, this is beside the point entirely, but he did get in trouble and lose his job for leaving a kid alone on the school bus. I wonder what he was doing. That he, like, got off the bus to do... Anyway, he did leave a kid alone on the bus. He does get fired. That's not part of the story. Um, But it creates a picture. It creates a picture of who we're dealing with. And yet it doesn't at all because this guy was a real fucking piece of work. Oh, my God. Let me start by saying I'm going to talk about Michelle Knight right now. And a lot of what I'm going to say during this story is going to be 
skewed towards her perspective because it's her book that I read. Mm -hmm. So he has plenty of other people whose lives he impacted in horrible negative ways. Just keep in mind that what I did was research her story. So a lot of this is coming from her perspective. And what I probably should have done is read all the books out there because his other victims wrote books too. But we don't have time. We listen. We're, we're trying to. I've got turn a kid. Out. I don't know what you guys want. We're from trying me. to turn out stories for you. You think I should have read them all? You should have read them all. Honestly, this is a teaser trailer look, for you to rent the book from your local library. Look inward. Look at yourself look before at yourself. you look at me, reader. Dear readers. Dear readers. Michelle Knight was uh, on her way to child services. Um, a little bit of background there. She had a son. He was a little boy at the time. I think he was around. Two maybe when this happened. He got taken from her and was in social services in the foster care system because she had, like, the most fucked up sad childhood ever, mm-hmm. which is to say, like, she grew up in a home where a family member was sexually abusing her and her mother was sort of turning a blind eye to that. Mm-hmm. And she ends up liking like a guy in high school they have sex and she gets pregnant it turned out he had a girlfriend it really broke her heart she has this baby and loves 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 him and according to her what happened is she left him at her house and was going out i can't remember why to look for a job or something and she leaves the boy at home with her mom comes home and the mom isn't watching him and there's a drunk family member there or maybe drunk guy that her mom was dating i can't recall but she gets really upset and starts freaking yelling and her son got upset and started peeing and when he started peeing the guy knocked him down and broke his arm or something (gasps) this is all what i remember so i'm not reading this off of notes and i could definitely have some details wrong but the gist is that when she took him to the hospital she lied about how he got the injury because she was scared he would get taken away and she wanted to make it seem like he had a safe home environment but by lying they could tell she was lying and it became a thing of like was it her that I did think it? it reflected even worse than she had imagined it would yeah it did the opposite of what she was intending and they end up putting her kid in child services so she's now trying to get her kid back Mm -hmm. and she's on her way to this meeting or hearing about this so she's like trying to not be late she can't find the building so she drives up to i think it was like a dollar store or something like this and she's asking people if they know directions and she ends up seeing castro and he says i'll give you a ride i know where it is um she recognizes him she's like this is the dad of like a guy of a kid that was in my school Like, she definitely recognizes him, gets in his car, and they start talking, and he's like, I just have to stop by my house, basically, because he starts driving the wrong way. And she's like, ooh, I really can't be late. This is, like, a really high-stakes situation for me. And he's like, let me just stop by my house. It'll be really fast. And just say no is what what we're trying to learn from this, I think. We're trying to learn. I got to tell you, I think... I can say as a woman, I find myself in some situations like this where you're like, should I go or shouldn't I? Or is this safe or isn't that? And trusting your gut. Right. And I live in fear Mm -hmm. of not just something bad happening to me, but my mom finding out that I did something stupid stupid and that it led to that. I remember being in Spain and some guy was like, let's go to a bar. And I was like, I don't go to a second location. He's like, por qué? You're right. And I was like, because my mom. <laughs> it's like, because my mom. Yeah. I'm I not... mean, let that be. W-W-M-M-T. What would my mom think? 
you know what I Folks. mean? And my mom, and, and I gotta tell you, like, if you do something that's stupid, to me, I'm like, the shame of my mom is more than Definitely. what could potentially happen. Well, she didn't think about her mom. They had a shitty, shitty relationship, shitty, as you I can imagine. So she didn't think of her mom. She got in this dude's car. They get to his house, and he's basically like, oh, also, I have a dog that just gave, you know, has, like, a litter of puppies, and you can take one for your son. She's legit, like, that would be cool. I do want a puppy for my son. I love my son and I'm sad. She goes into oh. this man's house. Spoiler alert, folks. There's no fucking puppies. She goes upstairs. It's the oldest trick in the book. It's like, here's candy. Here's it's a puppy. It's the oldest, it's the trick oldest in the book. fucking he, trick. So he locks her in a room. So she, like, goes with him willing. Like, this guy is, like, sick. She goes Easy with him willing. Peasy. He basically ends up like spoiler alert like tying her up beating her up raping her she's in the basement then she's moved back upstairs into a room on april 21st the night before amanda berry's 17th birthday she's working at a burger king she considers calling in sick and doesn't biggest mistake of her fucking life she goes to work when she leaves her shift she calls her sister can i get a ride no calls a friend oh they don't could you up. imagine not that, be that sister, sister. just give her the fucking ride oh my god second lesson after wwmmt give your I sister can't think a ride. Of the letters but it's give your sister a ride <laughs> um so she leaves burger king she's walking home she walks by a car a van and sees a man and his daughter in the car and the daughter's, like, getting out of the car. She kind of recognized the daughter as a classmate of hers. Um, and I then later, it. the man drives by in the van without the daughter and says, oh, are you walking? Do you need a ride? And she's like, yeah, I do. She gets in the car, and he says something like, oh, you go to school with my kid. Do you want to come over and hang out with her? She's at my house. Da, 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 da. Gets her in a room in his house upstairs. Locks her in a closet, assaults her, then brings her to the basement and chains her up. And he will eventually move her upstairs as well. There's a pattern of, like, he takes these women, gets them inside the house upstairs, brings them to the basement for a time. I think in the basement, like, the way Michelle described it, it was she was there for days and he was starving her at the It's beginning. like a deprivation thing. Well, it's a deprivation thing, and I think it's also, like, the beginning is, like, it's establishing I'm in charge. Like, you can't have food. I'm going to put a sock in your mouth and tape you up and leave you here all day. I'm going to come rape you. So you're in this basement and I'm in charge. I'm in charge. I'm in charge. So that by the time they're moved upstairs and they're already like changed traumatic to yeah. a radiator or a space up there, you're less likely, I think, to call for help or to think you can escape. That feels like it's like a how to book. It's like a how to. Create dominance for dummies, right? It's like that feels like such a like a premeditated pattern. Listen, and this the the kinds of shit he would pull. He had after the first week that he has Amanda, he calls her parents on her phone. No, and he says, "I have Mandy, and she's not coming back." And he calls her Mandy, like as though he knows her. Um, so he's. I don't know where that comes from. Like, psychologically, the flirting with disaster and, like, the ego there of you can't touch me. And I, I mean, he already had Michelle for a long time when he gets. Was he, like, so So he was, was he doing it to cover his tracks to, like, stop looking for her because she's run away now? Or was it, like, I've kidnapped her? That's a her. great question. I don't think, well, he didn't say I kidnapped her. Well, yeah. But, and, I, but and I'm listen, curious he, would, like, that the... he would have never used that verbiage because... He ends up have, 
let me let me explain the yeah. third woman, and then I'll tell you a little bit more about what it was like to be in this house because these women were in this house with him for ten years. Oh my God! The third and final victim was fourteen-year-old Gina De Jesus. She was a friend of his daughter's, Arlene. So she ran into him, and he says he needed help finding Arlene, and she knows him. This is her friend's dad, and she gets in the car takes her to the basement, tries to molest her. She kind of confronts him, so he chains her up. She fights him. He overpowers her. There's a real struggle. And the first few weeks, he was a little more timid with her. He didn't rape her right away. He just, like, would talk to her and kind of molest her. And then he brings her upstairs and introduces her to Michelle and says, like, this is my daughter. (laughs) And Michelle's like not an idiot. So she's like, that's weird. He would do things like that. He'd like bring the women to meet each other and lie about who they were. To what end? Who knows? They obviously all end up finding out who they are They are, and that they're all three in a similar situation abducted by this complete psychopath. And they're all subjected to torture, starved, beaten, raped oh. um, over and over again. He keeps Michelle, the oldest, and Gina, the youngest, in a room together. And they're chained, like, ankle to ankle. And he would rape them while they were chained together. Um, and Amanda's in a separate room. But he rigs these rooms with locks, and they're chained up. And at one point, he gets... This is maybe before he got Gina, because Michelle was alone. And he got her a dog at one point. And then the dog started trying to sort of defend her when he was raping her. So he broke the dog's neck. That's horrifying. So what these women endured is just insane. I'll give you, like, just a few of the slices of joy that he presented them with. One time he makes Michelle eat a hamburger with mustard on it, which he knew she was allergic to. And she has a crazy allergic reaction, like, in a way where she almost dies. And Gina's chained to her and freaking out and trying to help her. And it's horrifying. It was weird, though, because he also would, like, suddenly, I don't want to call them acts of kindness. That seems like a real stretch in this situation. I think it was more a show of power and dominance, but he would do things like bring them coloring books or journals, gave them televisions. But when he gave them TVs, he was like, don't let me catch you watching anything with black people. He was, like, super racist. Or he would beat them. And he would do all kinds of weird mind games. He kind of, like loaded a gun once and tried to play Russian roulette with one of them. He would leave deliberately doors unlocked and then pretend to leave the house to try to catch them escaping and then beat them for it and say, well, I was testing you to see if I could trust you. He has them for 10 years, so you can imagine losing hope a little. And there are times... Losing hope a little. But there were times when he would have people over to the house. He was a musician, and he'd have his bandmates over, and they would all be upstairs. And he would say to them, if you make a noise, I'm going to kill you. And they wouldn't. Or he would bring them all to the basement sometimes. uh, And he would blast music when he left the house so that you couldn't hear them. Screaming. and he would do crazy things. He'd make them come outside and sit with them on the porch wearing a wig and, like, glasses. And a neighbor would see them, and he'd hold, have a gun, and he'd say, if you say anything to that neighbor, I'm going to kill you. So there were all these, like, moments where it was like they just didn't know whether to risk it or not. And is it worse to be dead? Must be going through your head all the time. But their survival instinct is kicking in, so they're protecting themselves. 
I think the saddest thing that happened while they were in his... In captivity. Yeah, I was going to say in his custody, in captivity. The saddest thing that happened while they were in captivity to me is that Michelle got pregnant like five times and he forced her to miscarry by starving her, by punching her with a barbell in the stomach. Crazy, monstrous things. Meanwhile, he stopped having sex with Gina and Michelle at one point and he said to them, Amanda and I are together now. As though he had like a real... Relationship. relationship with Amanda. He called her his wife sometimes. Amanda does end up getting pregnant by Castro and carrying the baby to term. He brings a plastic bathtub into the house to have her give birth in it. And he tells Michelle, you're going to deliver this baby. And if this baby dies, I'm going to kill you. And the baby's comes out and the baby's not breathing. And Michelle gives the baby like mouth to mouth and compressions, and the baby lives. So now you have these three women living in captivity and a baby. And he would do things like beat Amanda up when the baby was crying. Like, if, you know, it's like he, he wants to sleep through the night. If the baby's, like, crying and won't stop, he'll go beat her up like it's her fault. And all the while, it's it's he would call them like a family. So the level of delusion that's happening is just insane. And when you think about it, he had his family over at one point. He has daughters. Yeah. He would go to the vigil, the candlelight vigil for these missing girls. He went and said to Gina's mom, who was handing out like flyers, can I have a flyer? Like, and ask questions about her missing. Which if you, like, know about serial killers and stuff, it's very common for them to, like, revisit the scene of a crime. It's, like, another way of having sort of a trophy. And it feels like there was some sort of sick satisfaction he got from the power of going up to these families and talking to them and having contact. There was a episode of, like, I think it was America's Most Wanted that not he was on because they didn't know about him, but these disappearances were on. And he made the girls all watch it with him and kind of made fun of them. And I think Michelle, in some ways, he was meaner to than the other girls. The other girls had families that were looking for them. The police stopped looking for Michelle almost right away and decided, oh, she was upset her kid got taken and she didn't have a family to fight for her. So it, uh, so he would say that to her all the time. Well, no one's even looking for you. He would attack her more. He did start raping her again after his relationship with Amanda started, but he would do it outside the house. Like, it's, maybe it's not cheating, I guess, if it happens in the yard. I don't know. In the yard? He had her dig a hole once in the yard, and it was, like, felt very ominous. Like, like it was going to be It's going to be for you kind of a thing, and just never had her finish. But, and who knows if that was a mind game or if he really thought he was going to kill her. What I think is crazy is once Amanda has this baby, they're in a little bit of a pickle, aren't they? Because, I, well, what happens <laughs> is... Pickle. That's to put him mildly. Well, well, no, They're he is. In a wee bit of no, a pickle. he is though, because if you think about it, okay. So he, they have this little girl. Amanda names her Jocelyn, and he loves her. He lets her go in the front yard. He takes her to church with him. So Jocelyn is sometimes leaving the house as a little little girl. Who does and he tell Amanda? She is. He says it's his daughter by a girlfriend that they don't know, kind of a thing. And no one's digging too deep in this family. I'm. He's bringing her around, though. He's bringing her around. She's playing in the yard. Neighbors saw Jocelyn playing in the yard. Amanda says she used to pretend 
for Jocelyn when she got a little older, like preschool age, she would take her to school. So imagine they're in one room. She would say, get ready for school. And she'd have her like get dressed and she'd go, we're going to walk to school. And they'd walk around the room. And then she'd be like, have a good day, honey. Bye. And she'd give her a kiss. And then she would turn into the teacher. And she would give her like a school day. She was just trying to like normalize or give her some sort of, yeah. It's like the room. It's like the book, the room. It totally was like that. It made me think of that so much. But Jocelyn's getting older. Mm. She's starting to be verbal. And I think that Castro realized he couldn't shame the women anymore. Because Jocelyn is like around them and like, why is my auntie Michelle, you know, like chained up? So she would say things like locked up. She's going to go. If you're going to take her to church, what makes you think she's not going to walk up to somebody and say, my mom's locked up. My mom's in a cage or yeah, it's it's it starts to get questionable. So he did stop chaining them at a certain point, And that was because of Jocelyn. So she's sort of like this guardian angel child that comes into their life and it made their lives have renewed meaning and made them all, I think, have a different sense of hope. I, especially, I would imagine, Amanda, who it's her daughter. It probably gave them purpose where they were like, because it was like the three of them had become so like entangled within each other, like mm-hmm. having, you know, and like sharing in this commisery, but also the three that probably wanted to preserve this like young child's innocence in some way. You know what I mean? Like Totally. Or do you want her to not be innocent and understand full well what's going on so she tells someone on the outside? But the risk you would take in saying something to her would just be insane. Do you know what I mean? Totally. Totally. And they're all protective of her. All of of them. So what ends up happening is one day Jocelyn is running up and down the stairs of the house. Again, she was allowed to go downstairs. The other women are upstairs. She comes upstairs to her mom and she says... My dad went to grandma's house. His blue car's not here. And she says, oh, are, are you sure? Like, check in the garage, check down. It's kind of like, is he really gone? And he is. So Amanda realizes the door to her room's unlocked. She goes downstairs with Jocelyn. Now, the front of the house had two doors, I think, that he could lock, and one of them wasn't. So she goes, and there's a screen door. It's locked. It's padlocked. There's a chain locking it, though. So imagine it's got some leeway. You can pull it in and out. She's able to get an arm out. She starts waving like fucking hell and screaming. And a neighbor hears her and he comes and he's like, I saw this woman like going nuts with a little kid by this door trying to get out of this house. He comes and helps her break down the door. She runs out. Oh, I would like to note that he's black, which I just find amazing and ironic given the fact that Castro was was this racist racist asshole um, that a black man saved the day. Hell yeah. Um, And they run to his house, call the police. The 911 call is basically Amanda Berry saying, hi, I need police. And she says, I've been missing 10 years and I'm here. I'm free now. I'm free. And they come they get there in like three minutes and they go into the house and go upstairs and find these other two missing women. And the women just sort of like fall into their arms. I think they're just in shock. They were saying that when they walked into the ambulance together, the three women, it was the first time they were able to have like any kind of extremely candid sort of conversation where they knew they weren't being watched or and they just couldn't believe that they were free. 
I can't imagine like after 10 years of just like, oh, the trauma like that. Oh, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. No. And I think that it's it's a really weird comparison, but it reminded me of the movie Castaway. Like after Tom Hanks leaves yeah. the island and he's like in a grocery store and he's just overwhelmed by the fact that there's this room filled with food when he's been starving. I think that the women... I, I watched an interview with Amanda Berry saying, talking about how she couldn't believe that she could like take a shower whenever she wanted and she couldn't believe that she could brush her teeth. Like the idea that these very basic things you take for granted and she was just like, I can't believe I get to do them whenever I want. And she gets to raise her daughter. So I'm going to just quickly go over the aftermath. Um yeah, So when Amanda's lawyer asked, what do you want? The two things she said she wanted most was a birth certificate for her daughter and a tombstone for her mother. Her mother died while she was in captivity. So she didn't get to say goodbye to her mother and her mother never got to know that her daughter was alive. Michelle ends up changing her name. Her son was adopted while she was in captivity and she has not had contact with him, which is hard, but also like to tell that story to a child would also be very difficult to tell, I mean, I'd imagine. the kid is at least 12 when she's out. Yeah, and she missed his whole life. She ends up writing a memoir. Gina and Amanda wrote a book together as well. I would encourage everyone, if you have curiosity about this, to get those books to support these victims. Uh, Michelle Knight's book is called Finding Me. That's the book I read. And Amanda Berry and Gina DeJesus wrote a book together called Hope. And Amanda and Gina both got honorary diplomas from John Marshall High School. Gina joined an Amber Alert Committee that offers comfort to families of abducted children. And Amanda Berry joined the staff of WJW Fox 8 News team in Cleveland. And she hosts a short recurring segment where she reports missing person cases. And she does that to help families reunite with their missing family members. So everyone's finding ways to give back. These women are... That's incredible. So strong, so amazing. All they wanted to do when they left, I saw them in interviews. It's the same thing repeated over and over again. What do you want to do now? I want to help people. His home, part of the plea bargain was that his home be demolished. Good. So it was, you know, those yeah. walls are torn down. And mm-hmm. it, that, I think, must have felt good for those women to see. Before his sentencing, Castro got to address the court for 20 minutes. And... He said that he was a good person and not a monster, that he was addicted to sex and pornography and had practiced, and this is in quotations here, folks, he had practiced the art of masturbation from a young age. He claimed he... Um, How do you practice? Did, there I was, don't. did you not... It, it, you just practice it didn't means, count, I guess. It didn't count. Well, it didn't count, but he didn't come then? Is that the I idea? Did, it must have been it. I practiced it, but I couldn't um, figure And it he, out. of course, was abused by a neighbor, which I ended up reading about. He was sodomized by a neighbor. No excuse, certainly. But you always can usually track things like this. Uh, well, it's cyclical, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, history repeats in that way, unfortunately. He claimed he never beat or tortured the women and that most of the sex he had with them was consensual. Ugh, the he delusion. shifted back and forth between like apologizing and then he would blame the FBI for not catching him sooner. And then he would blame the victims and say, well, they, well, they all got in the car with a stranger. And that was a really crazy thing for them to do. Although you'll recall, almost every victim knew him or recognized him. Knew him. Yeah. Or rec- yeah, recognized him. He also 
let the court know that none of the women were virgins when he got to them. So he was sort of thought that would... Oh, God. Yeah. He was winning people over to his side by slut-shaming. I'm not really sure. At that point, though, I got to tell you, I mean, I hope I will never be in that situation, but I feel like at that point... He's just, like, grasping Grasping at straws straws and being, like, anything that'll give me some sympathy. But there's nothing. Nothing. There's nothing. Nothing. And then he said, I hope that they can find it in their hearts to forgive me because we had a lot of harmony going on in that home. Leads you to wonder what his definition of harmony is. Um, I just, like, wonder what his kids say. Like, when his kids Well, I know he had a son named after him, Ariel, that changed his name. I know he had another son that for a school report was in high school and for a school report reported on Gina being, having gone missing. That's Um, fucked. What is important to know is that he was sentenced to consecutive life terms in prison plus a thousand years without the possibility for parole and was fined $100,000. Castro lasted a month in conditions far better than the conditions he kept his victims in, and then he fucking killed himself in prison. Coward. Fucking. Fucking coward. coward. Well, I'm sure, like, he probably wasn't in a place where people were treating him any night, like, nicely at all. You no, know what I mean? Like, I'm no. sure people were like, I, I think they you. even, they had to look into the death and, and see if it was suicide, but it was ruled a suicide. You know, I got to tell you, I'm skeptical of suicide ever since Jeffrey Epstein. I'm like skeptical of fucking suicide. That shit, I'm like, he might have killed himself, but not under his own term. I There's just something about it that I'm like, mm, Right. Mm, about Jeff? About Jeff. And a little bit, I'm like, this guy. Ariel, I don't know. He strikes me as a fucking coward pussy. But I wonder if somebody was like, you better fucking or I'll go after your kids. Or, like, I, you know, like. Yeah. Because he, I mean, I just can't believe it was like his kid's friend. Like, oh, that's like a total monster. Fucking nightmare. Support these women, buy their books. Yeah. And what if you see something, say something. something, And trust your gut. My mom likes to say, trust your blink. Your blink on someone, trust your blink. Don't get in a car with a dude, period. Don't oh, do God. it. That means don't date anyone with a And car. don't date anyone. <laughs> don't date don't anyone. Don't date anyone. Don't get in vehicles ever. That's it. Move to a city where public transportation is the only option. But I got in a car to get here with a stranger. Please was tell me that the story that you have is about rainbows and sunshine. Um, It's not, but it's something that interests me a lot. It's the story of Nexium. Oh my god, I cannot wait. I'm dying to know. <laughs> okay, good. So, this is Nexium. This is the thing that's called like natural It's N X I V M. Correct. And so it's all Roman numerals. And I was like, I got to look up this guy. It's famously referred to, this is a spoiler for sure, but it's famously like people are like Allison Mack from Smallwood. Right. She's a big name that they constantly bring up. But okay. I think it's important to like really get down to the brass tacks and the person and the founder. Do you know what I mean? So this guy's name is Keith Rainier. Rainier. It's a French name and I'm not French. Oh, so it's Rainier. I think it's Rainier. Oh. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, so this guy, Keith Rainier, I'm going to tell you like some backstories. He basically sort of created this mythology about himself. Apparently, he had an IQ of 240 where he took a test 
And he's actually in the Guinness Book of World Records as being one of the smartest people in the world. Weird, right? Okay, so he claims that he was speaking in full sentences at the age of one. He was reading by age two. And then I like that this is the next step where he was like a judo champion and a concert pianist at 13. (laughs) And at 13, he became enlightened to a higher state of being. So, like, this guy basically thinks his shit doesn't stink. He's, like, the answer to everything. He's amazing. In his early years, he started working for Amway, which is, like, a multi-level marketing, like, you know, MLM Mm -hmm. for beauty products. And then in the 1990s, he created his own sort of MLM thing called Consumers Byline. And basically, it's where, like, groups, like, would buy in bulk. And then you would, like, enlist more people. It started in the 1990s. In 1996, after 25 separate investigations, 23 states and two federal investigations alleged it was a pyramid scheme. So in 1996, he like signed a letter admitting no wrongdoing, but like paying some money back or like basically it wasn't a big settlement, but he just had to like disband Mm -hmm. that company. This guy was like pretty fucking magnetic, as I'm sure like most cult stories begin with. He partnered with this woman, Nancy Saltzman, in 1998, and she was a therapist in neuro-linguistic programming and hypnotism, and they started this company called Nexium. And so basically, the main thing that Nexium sort of was like a part of was corporate or spiritual training to like be your best self. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And it's very Scientology in a way. I gotta right? tell you, the parallels between this and Scientology, I was like... It's like people are running out of good ideas for the, cults. Like, They're seriously, just... it's like, be original. Be a trailblazer. What are you doing? And this is what I loved, is they even called it, they founded this thing called Executive Success Programs, which they called ESPs, mm-hmm. which again, feels like another fucking Scientology. Like, everything just felt peak Scientology to me when I was reading this. So I watched a lot of like Dateline 2020, not Barbara Walters, so like not the good one. Do you know what I mean? Like totally. I want 2020 from Barbara Walters, always. Always. Um, but I watched a little bit of Dateline. I read some like Rolling Stones articles. I read a Wikipedia, Donate, a lot of Megyn Kelly. Like when Megyn Kelly moved to Today and she was like, no more politics. I'm going to go human interest stories. And I think they were like grasping at straws. She ended up interviewing this woman named, I'm like totally going forward but this woman named um Catherine Oxenberg um Catherine Oxenberg is an actress who was in Dallas I believe or Dynasty it was Dynasty okay and she was like my daughter is in this company Nexium, and I think it's a cult and I need to get her out and I'll move I'll like let you know but she ended up writing a book on it so I was watching a lot of those interviews and there was a guy in the audience that was like a leading expert on cults and he was like at any time there are thousands of cults active in the U.S. and there's probably like tens of thousands of people that are like currently involved in a cult. The point of view that they were trying to say was like this could happen to your kid and like how do you know your kid is in a cult and how do you pull them out and he was like it takes three days of an intervention generally of like family and friends being with this person to like convince them. He talked a lot about like healing after and what that looked like which is crazy i know i totally just it's so nuts anyway so those are some of the credits i did so 
So this woman, Tony Natali, was his girlfriend between consumers byline. She was one of the people that worked for him, mm-hmm. um, and she dated him after the company dissolved. But she's reported as saying that she was able to stop smoking after a two-hour session with Keith. And her ex-husband is like, that's fucking bullshit. But like, Whatever, people get hypnotized to stop smoking. No offense, that's just not that impressive. But I gotta t- But the thing is, is there's just like... So many people just believed the shit he was lying down. Right. So he worked with Nancy Saltzman, um, this therapist, to develop Nexium, mm-hmm. And it was like a self-help sort of company. It was a way to sort of like reach spiritual enlightenment, be a better person. It dealt with a lot of like ethics and stuff. So um, he claimed to be a genius. He was enlightened. He was a highly ethical person. Like I don't love when anyone calls anyone themselves. Call it's like ethical I am person. very generous. I am very ethical. I am very humble. It's just what Fucking a sack proof of shit. Proof. Proof. Show me the seats, Diane. Show me the receipts. Show me. Show don't me the tell receipts. me. Show, Show me, me the receipts, Diane. Okay, so what I loved is he had everybody called him Vanguard. Cool nickname. Cool Undeniable. nickname. Undeniable. I think that's a financial it, planning company. For 100%, but you want to know where he got it from? Tell me. It was his favorite arcade game that he played as a kid where the destruction of one's enemies increased one's power. So he's just like an angry nerd. And the thing is, as you look at him, it's so creepy because there was like videos on YouTube and all that stuff. And he just looks like a schlubby nerd. Knew it. Definitely has glasses and haircuts that are not flattering for his face. Let it be known. Okay. He goes to Fantastic Sam's. He goes, no, he probably pays. It's one of his followers. and Or I don't know. He right, right, like, right. Anyway. He doesn't gets, even have to pay for haircuts. Exactly. That's the level of fame we're talking about. By the way, this is all happening in Albany. So like... <laughs> Okay, Um, so his business partner, Nancy Saltzman, they call her Prefect, which I think is offensive just because I'm a Harry Potter fan, and I'm like, how dare you co-op J.K. Rowling's words for your fucking cult. Oh, can I tell you a joke? 100%. Um, How, okay, this is really good. How does Harry Potter get down a hill? I already know the answer, but I'm not going to say it. I'll tell it to Sarah. How does Harry Potter get down a hill? (laughs) He walks. J.K. Rowling. So anyway, um, he becomes a renunciate, which is a new word for me. Have you heard this word? No, I love it. Where people renounce all of their belongings. So he had like no car, nothing. And he just had his followers like drive him around places. There was even... Seems like a fake thing. You're like, so... I don't need my stuff. So I'm just going to use I'm just going to use your stuff. Exactly. <laughs> Such bullshit. I actually love it. I'm like, You're like wow, I'm that's really, it's really brave. Home. You using my iPad over there <laughs> in that corner. I gave them your, I'm a renunciate, so I gave them your phone number so you're not responsible for my well-being and everything involved. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, that's just a fucking dick move. Um, but he was a dick. Uh, what I loved is, thought this was so weird, where he would like play volleyball every Tuesday and like... He encouraged his followers to, like, go up and, like, whisper things in his ear. Weird shit of just, like, power-trippy bullshit. Do you know what I mean? Yes. He, like most cult leaders and most stories that we'll probably tell future on the podcast because cults are fascinating. And I think they're fascinating because it's, like, it could happen. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm one... Like, psychic reading away from joining. 100%. <laughs> we all know somebody. Anyway, 
everybody was like he had the ability to make you feel like you were the only person in the room like that he was connected and people left like meeting him feeling lighter and like he changed something within them and it's one of those things where like we've all met really dynamic people I I know I certainly like when I was reading this I was like oh my god if this person who I love and adore who's a mentor of mine like if this person had any ill intention it's not totally out of the realm of possibility for each and every one of us. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Okay, so he would do, and again, it was like an MLM where like he was basically like everybody was recruiting people into it and that's how it happened. They would have recruiters. Um, They would have these things called intensives, which was basically like group therapy for 14 hours a day for up to like 16 days. And the numbers that I saw were a little bit conflicting, but basically people would pay either like $2,000 or $7,500 for these things. So people would pay all this money. And apparently more than 16,000 people worldwide would like take these intensives, but they all signed confidentiality contracts. Like you couldn't share Nexium secrets. One of the things they told you um, was to ignore your gut Whoa, opposite of Carrie's mom. Opposite of Cal. And I got to tell you, my mom would be like, "Mm, I don't like that. You know what I mean? And so that's why I would not join this call. If someone was like, trust your blink, I'd be like, my mom said that. I trust it. I trust it. I trust it. And then I would join that call. Right. I'm joining. Basically, I'm saying my family is a cult. I was born into it. It's Kathy Bama is Scientology. Um, So anyway, so. (laughs) (laughs) But I think what's so funny, it says, ignore your gut they were trained to believe that it was holding you back. Like that this was the thing that like wasn't letting you get to where you wanted to go. They had these things called rational inquiry, which people considered was brainwashing, where it's based on the idea that deeply held convictions formed in childhood and were often wrong and needed to be changed. So this idea that like basically sort of like dismantling your whole belief system mm, and being like down. breaking you and down. rebuilding you from scratch. And rebuilding you from scratch, which is like not totally dissimilar to like what Ariel Castro did, right? Like that idea of just like... It's what psychopaths do to people. Yeah. And it makes these people so open to brainwashing and to just going along with it, right? Right. And by the way, they had Nexium centers like all over. They had Nexium centers in like Vancouver, Washington, Albany, like everywhere. Mm-hmm. But they would have words again. I love these words because again, it's like guys come up with something original. Mm-hmm. They had suppressives, right? Oh, they this had is just a parasites. Cat I hate this. They had Luciferians. Was oh, it? I do was like it? that. Which is it's I really like, little like it. Devils. It's like little devils. It's a little devil. But it was about sociopaths and. Keith believed he could rehabilitate types of sociopaths who commit destructive acts. So he believed that he could, like, cure them based on this training. There were potent was a word. Disintegrations was another word. But often they would have chanting before. They would have these things called huddles. And they would say things like, we're committed to our success. I will not choose to be a victim. Do you know what I mean? Like, they basically was, like, treating you to be, like, autonomous. Like, you choose. Which I think also further, like, 
perpetuates this idea of like you choose your own path so you're not being involved in like inducted into a cult so there was like bowing and they all wore sashes of like different colors that proved like where they were at in terms of the like hierarchy and they were scorned and yelled at if ever they questioned like not chanting or not saying these things they were like how fucking dare you I want to just like say about some of his beliefs um, because I think they're important to note to like the next level of like what this cult was doing. He held on to this belief that women were subservient to men. Are you surprised? No. Schlubby looking white man thinks, me- I mean, 0% surprising. Um, under his eye. Under, <laughs> you, you know? know what I mean? I mean, who's Aunt Lydia? It's this woman, Nancy Saltzman, you know, the co whatever. So anyway, so he believed that men were naturally polyamorous and women were naturally monogamous. And so at any time, he had a harem of women of like 15 to 20 women at any time. Um, and he was really demanding and just gross. Um, he demanded the women be super thin to the point of starvation at certain points, he was having them be on like 900 calorie diets a day. My worst That's nightmare. Fucking starvation. I was like, I I bought a burrito drunk last night and I'm still hungry. Do you know? I it's, is this conversation's making me. I'm starving. my stomach. If you hear any growling, it's for sure my stomach coming through in the microphone. And well, I am hungover, so there's that. Okay, what I love. This was such a weird note. Is he? Claimed that because he is a highly ethical person. Don't you forget. That How could I? Oprah was not an ethical person. And do you know why? Don't come after Oprah. Do you want to know why? Do not come after Clap my back Oprah. And, but it's the be- the worst, best reason. Why do you think she's not ethical, Quinn? Honestly, I can't say anything bad about Oprah. Well, you won't get me to. You won't trick me. He blamed her weight. How dare he? How fucking dare he? Oprah loves bread, and she will not apologize for that. (laughs) I mean, I love bread, and I will never apologize. I love bread, second only to loving fucking Oprah. Oprah. Amen, honey. So anyway, he, and so what's amazing about it is, so he was like, Oprah's not ethical because she's overweight. But as I said earlier, he ain't skinny. He was not, like, physically fit. He's, like, a little schlubby guy. Right. And his reasoning for that is he wasn't skinny, but claimed it was his, quote, sacrifice for humanity. That he doesn't have time to work out because he's working so hard on everyone else. Thank you. That's beautiful. What a dick. Okay, so, and <laughs> in his harem, the women were connected by his super sperm <laughs> that he felt like was going to, like, improve the world in right. some way. I don't know. This, to me, it was so sad. Oh, God. Every year around his birthday, he would have this thing called V-Week, Vanguard Week. Financial planning. (laughs) Financial planning week. And basically, it was a huge part of the cult. So worldwide, people would all come to Albany, where he was stationed, like the flagship Nexium group. They would all come to Albany and they would perform for him. Mm -hmm. And they would have this like crazy celebration. And what was like so crazy was like, it feels like, do you know Up With People? Mm -mm. Up With People is actually like really interesting. Maybe I'll do it 
it's it's not a cult, but it's like save it. I I'll know. save it. I but basically, it's like this like cults. false like everybody like dancing and like so happy and so like performing. In fact, I just saw <laughs> Atlas and Mac is singing an acapella song. I'm putting my computer down because it's important to like act this out, even though you won't be able to see it. She's in like a white dress, barefoot, and there's mm-hmm. acapella. Which, by the way, I'm not an acapella snob. But let's just be honest, they weren't that good. And they're all doing this song, and she's singing this, like, love ballad to him. And she's, like, in tears. Gross. It's so gross. It's like she's in love with him, and this guy is a fucking monster. Okay. And what was so crazy about that is in 2009, the Dalai Lama came to visit Nexium headquarters in Albany. And so it, like, just, like, legitimized it which is like so crazy and he really promoted like the scientific side but he held really crazy beliefs i.e super sperm i.e overweight being unethical right things like that um but he had ideas this is the craziest idea that i found not the craziest but this is one of the crazy ideas that i found um that people in the organization were reincarnated nazi officers that came back to get better at nexium what like so maybe because like they're very orderly but they were i have no idea like what that justification was that's so weird there wasn't a lot about these but apparently the nexium nine was like a group of early sort of adopters of this like company Mm -hmm. that essentially like were trying to like ring the alarm Mm -hmm. but nobody really listened to them and he just got more and more powerful so some of the members included um, a Seagram's liquor fortune heiress and then the daughter of the dynasty woman, India. And then this is where I'm going to get to Allison Mack. Allison Mack was best known for her role as a young friend of Superman in the series Smallville. Did you watch Smallville? No. I didn't watch it. Apparently she was like a cult favorite. And so what I found out about her was that so she was she had been acting for 20 years. She had been like an, a child actor Um, she was born in Germany, moved to California, was acting. She seemed like she was going to go to London to go like to drama school in Europe. But she booked her manager was like, you should do this role. uh, You should audition for Smallville. She auditioned. She got in the role. And I think that anyone's dream, anyone's dream. And I think she was like most people who are susceptible to this type of stuff. I think she was like insecure that she didn't go to college perhaps. And she was kind of always looking for like some spiritual guidance in some way, shape or form. She was recruited uh, to the Vancouver chapter of Nexium along with her Smallville co-star, Kristen Kruick. I don't know how to say her name, but this was in 2006. And they talked about how Nexium would like love bomb people, which is how they would get like high sort of like celebrities Mm -hmm. um to join where it's like they would receive a lot of attention like at one of like she had done a couple of like intensives and another thing was a lot of actors like a lot of like kind of middling actors were getting recruited to nexium because when they joined they would love bomb them and they'd be like we love you you're amazing and they would like sing their praises and manipulate them in a way to join this 
right. company, right? To be like, you're loved, you're wanted, you're right. so talented. Which I'm like, oh yeah, I could totally identify with that if yeah. someone was we'd like, fall for that. we'd for sure, to be, clear. to be clear, hook, line, and sinker. So they basically were like, do you want to come on the Seagram's heiress private plane and go and meet the founder, Keith, in Albany? And so Allison, went, Allison Mack went and like she just kind of got fucking wrapped up in this world. Mm-hmm. Someone made her the comparison, which I actually love, is um, the Tom Cruise of Nexium. Wow. She was like, loved that. I mean, she, and she was like a huge recruiter. She like fucking hook, line, and sinker did it. After Smallville closed, she moved to, she bought a place near Albany so that she could be near him and be near the founder. And she just and that's like, that's a commitment, folks. Such a, You're gonna who live, would move to Albany? Who would do <laughs> who? it? No offense to our readers in Albany, but. We love you, Albany. We love you, Albany. But if you don't love us, go screw yourself. So eventually. Keith has this pattern of sort of like enlisting women to do all of like to like work with, quote unquote, like it's his brainchild, but he gets these women. So Nancy Saltzman and him developed Nexium. There was this subgroup, a part of Nexium called DOS, and it was by women for women. I've seen someplace that it was called The Vow, which I saw once and I'm not going to totally, but it was called DOS, D-O-S. Um, and basically, um, according to prosecutors, DOS is an acronym standing for the Latin phrase that loosely translates to Lord Master of the Obedient Female Companions. Who wouldn't want to join that club? Me. I won't. I don't want to join I that club. I don't want to join that. I don't want to join it. So it was a secret society. The FBI believe it was set up by, um, Keith Rainier, Rainier, um, but basically, a lot of people, I think it was actually Allison Mack ended up becoming one of the founders, or she's allegedly one of the founders of DOS. Um, and basically, it was that there was, Rainier had six slaves. And like any good pyramid, multi-level marketing scheme, you had to recruit six slaves under you. And basically... He used a system to sleep with women and then also have them do work for the organization. And this is where it gets dicey. I think Nexium was always just like weird sort of new agey self-helpy. Um, but this is, I think, where like shit hits the fan in terms of like the sex cult that we've all heard of with Nexium. Yeah, it's get to that. Good part. <laughs> get there. Get there. So basically, Mac was the founder and slaves were instructed to seduce Keith. So he had his harem earlier on. He always had like multiple women. Mm-hmm. But I think there was like sort of like a big purge where like he had three main women in his life and slowly one of them he had a kid with. Slowly they all left and Alice and Mac kind of like took their place allegedly and so they created this like sort of DOS slave group mm. where women would start recruiting other women to seduce and sleep with Keith. If you refused in order to join this like so- secret sorority of like women, you would have to send naked pictures and um, collateral on yourself. And if you refused to sleep with him, you would be threatened to have that released to your friends. So basically, and he's like. Just prepare a file, a blackmail file on yourself. That's the beginning of this friendship. 100%. Hand me the file. 100%. Trust me, it's going in a safe. Now we're best friends. And everyone was like, seems reasonable. Well, I think it's like like anything, even talking about it right now, it's like so, it feels so crazy. But like, 
based on everything else because he was like this magnetic person and everybody believed I'm in sorry. him. I'm sorry. I'm going to go ahead and say that I've met plenty of magnetic people who would not do this. I do not this. prepare blackmail file on, on myself and <laughs> hand it to them. Won't do it at any point. I walk through lifeline to magnetic people. It's simple. I recommend it. I just, here's the thing. I just want to give like some of these victims some credit is where I'm coming from, where I'm like, I would hope I would never be in that situation. I'd like to think I wouldn't be in that situation. But like, okay. It's so crazy. So I'm trying. Okay. I know. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. So anyway, so um, what's really crazy is like during DOS, like recruitment and stuff like that, there's old tweets mm-hmm. of Allison Mack tweeting at Emma Watson. <gasps> being, being like, like you hey. coming to the DOS meeting? Yeah. <laughs> She's like, hey, you love women because Emma Watson has like a lot of like, like, and so she's like, you love women. I have a great organization that's made for women by women. And it's like a self-help thing. Like, if you want to know, like, I'm a huge fan of yours. Come on down. Um, Kelly Clarkson apparently was like a big fan of Smallville. And Allison Mack had tweeted was like, Kelly, I'm also a big fan of yours. I have this amazing group of women that I'd love for you. To, I'd love to chat with you about. And so she was like throwing out on Twitter that's like all this amazing. stuff. So gross, right? Right. And Kelly and Emma were like, oh, yeah. we're super busy washing our hair that <laughs> night. Their people were like, oh, this is just a random fan. I got to tell you, I wasn't a fan of Smallville, so I like really don't totally know who Allison Mack is. But she's like, she's cute and bubbly. And they would have these videos of her and him that you could watch on YouTube. And pass. it's hard pass. Um, but she's just like laughing and like just in love. And like I said earlier at the V week in like 2016, when like DOS was apparently around that time was starting, she's like crying professing her love to this person. Do you know what I mean? So right. I have a hard time, me personally, I don't know how much, I mean, she's definitely responsible because she was like clearly one of the founders and is like putting this in action, which is like super difficult, but I think it was his idea and it was all for him. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, yeah, was yeah. she just as brainwashed? But like there were people that would be like, yeah, I was recruited by her. And like, she's like, I love feminism. And she was like using feminism as a way to get women to sign up for this group. Which is, like, so fucked in my mind. Do you know what I mean? Because, like, the whole idea was it being subservient to men. So Saltzman's daughter was in the rankings. And this woman, Sarah Edmondson, who's become, like, one of the whistleblowers of this, like, sex cult. She's the one who famously, there was, like, a picture of um, a scar um, with, like, by her pants that I'll get to later. Um, she left in 2016. But um, during the time, Saltzman's daughter um, was in the rankings and was higher up than Edmondson. And so she was like, hey, listen, I got this secret sorority here. Do you want to join it? And she was like, I love Nexium. It's secret. It's like the, one of the founder's daughters. Like, fucking sign me up. And she was like, okay, but we need some, like, nude picture. We need your blackmail file. So she sent all right. this, like, blackmail. Um, and then she was like, but listen, you have to vow to be my slave and I'm your master and she's like whoa whoa, whoa. that feels like really aggressive slave master feels like a pretty aggressive term and she's like it's just a metaphor for like guru and disciple like it's not a big deal it's just like semantics basically aka read the fucking fine print um so she found out so she was like look look if somebody asks you to be a slave their last name better be gray (laughs) <laughs> or I'm saying no. Am I right or am I right, folks? Because 
What's this guy's name again? Keith Rainier. Hashtag not my Christian. <laughs> Hashtag not my Christian. Um, so she and four other women at their like initiation into the sorority, they had to get completely naked and blindfold their, themselves. So put the blindfold on themselves. And then they were brought to a room and um, they took turns holding each other down. And this Dr. Danielle Roberts with a cauterizing laser. And it took apparently 45 minutes each. She branded them right by her pelvic region. So like right below the underwear line. She gave them a tramp stamp. Worse, like on the front, oh, that's on the front frontal tramp stamp. It's a, what is it? It's a cooter cutout. <laughs> a cooter cutout. So bad. That's not good, poor women. But... It's a cooter cutout, and they're like, and apparently they were like so wrapped up in the sorority or whatever that like they were, and they were holding each other down, and they were at forty five minutes, someone burning into your flesh, this weird fucking symbol, right? The symbol. It's like a weird abstract shape if you look at it dead on. Mm-hmm. If you look at it to the side. Mm-hmm. Should I just show you? Yeah, show me. Okay, hold on. Got it. That's the brand, right? So it looks but, like double mountain. Wait, but, or K, K-R? His initials. Keith uh, Renier's initials. What's also worse is do you see it from this way? Do you see an A and an M? Yeah. Allison Mack, Keith, Rainier. And so the women that had this done, they had no idea. They had no idea that that's what was happening. And she, like, realized later. She was like, oh, my God, they burned their fucking initials into my fucking body. By the way, this is a sidebar. Whenever women would go have sex with Keith, if he couldn't get an erection, he claimed it was their fault because their weight. That's important to know. Um... So Keith is saying that he has no idea that this secret sorority is set up for women by women, that he has no fucking clue what's going on. He's just being randomly seduced by all these very skinny women, according to his preference. Um, but apparently um, they filmed everybody's cauterizing. They filmed everybody being branded and there was no anesthesia. There was no anesthetic. So this was all just like on their skin burning for 30 to 45 minutes. Apparently each of them took turns filming each other getting burned and apparently he texted during this procedure, how are they all doing with each other? Mm-mm. Like he was checking in. So this is all happening. It finally comes out that this is happened, like that this sex cult is how happening. How did it get leaked? Do you know? Well, Sarah Edmondson, there's like that picture, like there's a picture of her on the front cover. Basically, Catherine Oxenberg is this actress and her daughter, India Oxenberg. She was really fucking worried about her daughter. She's like, my daughter is in this fucking cult. I don't know what it is. And so she kept like trying to ring the fucking alarm. Yeah. And because she had some celebrity. Goes back to moms again. And so we hit, right? She does all this press for the show. She writes a book. um, And I think it was published after all that like it comes out. But she basically is just like fucking trying to get someone to listen to her and to help get her daughter in August 2018, she wrote a book called Captive, A Mother's Crusade to Save Her Daughter from a Terrifying Cult. That's mm. the title of the book. It's a mouthful. Um, but I think because 
Sarah Edmondson came out and she was like, we were fucking branded. I think a lot of these people, the Nexium 9 who like came out earlier, they corroborated certain parts of the stories. Like, I think it just kind of came out slowly and they were investigating him. And inevitably they were charged on like racketeering as well. Like most things, unfortunately, I think it requires like financial stuff to like blow this shit up. Right. right. So um, in two- March 2018, um, Renier was arrested in Mexico and brought... So he was in Mexico. So he knew she was going to hit ran the fan. Away. He ran away. Also, one of the followers in his cult was the son of a former Mexican president. Oops. Like, weird probably shit. Probably don't want to mess with that, Probably though. don't want to mess with it. But he probably got, like, sweet digs in Mexico. But they mm. found him. They brought him back. They ended up finding videos of him with, like, 15-year-olds and, like, mm. child pornography and, right. yeah, like, really of bad course. shit. Of course. Because, like, where there's smoke, there's fucking fire. He was indicted on a variety of charges um, related to DOS, um, including sex trafficking, sex trafficking conspiracy, and conspiracy to commit forced labor. So, like, I don't think he actually had forced labor, but it was a conspiracy to sort of, like, get this sorority to, like, have this, like, group of women who were at his beck and call. Right. What was so crazy is Keith Rainier's attorney Mm -hmm. is so fucking bananas and here's why so they were like so he's a liar like all of these like claims of like full sentences at one all that so like do you believe that and the attorney's like if we've if all of us have lied on our resume then we're all guilty like if lying on your resume is a sin then we're all fucking guilty me the most like interesting argument that he used against and trying to defend keith's this like whole system of like this secret female sorority was he claimed it was sexism he claimed that when men get branded you know in the nfl or in fraternities that nobody bats an eye but because these are women i mean they're autonomous how they're about choosing just don't that. brand anybody as like a general baseline why is that rule? not a rule you know what i mean why is no. it that needs to be said <laughs> friends <laughs> don't brand friends and friends don't let friends get branded so be a Amen. friend be pal. a friend and, and clearly these women were under, like, coercion, right? Like, they were sent into this room and, like, forced. But I guess because they could leave at any time, technically. Uh, like, friends don't ask friends for blackmail files so that they can leave at any time. So, and he goes, and he's even in the interview being like, I'm excited for these women to get up there and we can cross-examine. He's like, there's only three out of 110 women or something like that. He was like, only a few of them have come out of this feeling like, you know that they've been taken advantage of. He's like, they're all liars. They all had autonomy. They all did it themselves. They joined this, and it's blatant so sexism. what was his sentence? He has still not been sentenced. Oh, He's still awaiting okay. sentencing. But, um, oh, and this is the other thing that he said. He was like, Harvard and Yale have secret groups. <laughs> it's like, you know, I, again, I don't Join think like, a mysterious acapella group is going to brand them with like a fucking treble clef you know right. on their tank. <laughs> although that would be that would be very cool let's not deny it let's not deny who wants a treble clef the tainted treble clef the tainted treble is clef. the name of that secret group. group what if we what if that actually is a secret group and they're like oh, they found us they found us i'm so sorry we found Shit, we found they're them. coming for us ah, we found them so in june of this year of 2019 he was found guilty of seven felonies all seven he was 
found guilty on all of them. Bravo. Um, yeah, right? Uh, including sex exploitation of a child, possession of child pornography, sex trafficking, and all those conspiracy things, right? So Mac was arrested. Allison Mack was arrested um, April 20th, 2018 mm-hmm. um, on charges of sex trafficking, sex trafficking conspiracy, forced labor conspiracy. She made a plea deal. Um, she pled guilty to racketeering charges in April 2019 and is currently awaiting sentencing. So she still has not been sentenced. So this is like still kind of happening. Um, we are bringing you We are bringing you news. live updated news. The business partner, Saltzman, Nancy Saltzman, um, she also pled guilty to racketeering. And she's still awaiting sentencing. So all this stuff is still, like, ongoing. Cause, because a lot of people make plea like deals. it feels like we're headed toward resolution, justice. And I think the other thing is, is Allison Mack has, like, relinquished all sort of contact with Rainier. Again, I don't know if that's actually, like, what she wants to do or if that's just based on legal advice. That's unclear. Mm-hmm. They haven't necessarily what was crazy about the lawyer was he was like i can't wait till these women are cross-examined and they can watch the actual video because i think they had they're gonna use they i think i think he was like planning on using it seems like he was alluding to the fact that like watching the video of these women getting branded would prove that they had autonomy and that they were in control but like they're like high-fiving each other (laughs) like sweet sick the woman um sarah edmondson was like it was worse than childbirth. She was like, it was horrifying. It was horrifying. And they created just like this culture of fear around yeah. just like speaking out. Like any like any good any, cult. Any, any good, good cult. Like any cult that is worth their weight in pyramid schemes knows. You know, you got to create a culture of fear. You do. I read that when I was deciding between either starting a podcast or starting a cult. It just seemed faster a, to do the podcast, although I've, I haven't given up. I want to be clear. We'll let you guys know. We'll let you in. I mean, I don't I don't mind a cult. I just, I got to tell you, I'm not interested in keeping all those files of blackmail. To me, I just don't have enough space in my Do they Google even sell do- filing cabinets anymore? Well, I just don't have enough space in my Google Drive for that. No, 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 no. no. And you have to pay extra. Copy. You go hard copy for that? You go old school. I mean, who has a filing cabinet these days? They're so heavy and cumbersome. Who has the fucking time? That's true. I have no interest in and having a filing cabinet in my Office house. Max, we're looking at you. Office we Max, if you want to sponsor, we're ready for your sponsorship. For your sponsorship. I mean, I wonder if there's like, if there's for your like. your cult, use Office Max. That would be a great commercial. For your blackmail like, files. These Pendex folders are color coded. One for sex, one for nudity, and one for family secrets. <laughs> Readers, thank you for joining us. This has been the penultimate episode. <laughs> it's my favorite joke. I'm going to use it every time. So get them while they're get them while you're good. Get them while they're in the single digits. Also, don't forget to like, subscribe, follow, honor, love. uphold, love, and don't don't join a cult and trust your blink. That's trust what. your motherfucking blink. Trust your motherfucking blink. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.